Well, good morning. We are going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, if you have your Bibles and would like to turn there. Um, July 4th, 1776, pretty popular date. If you don't know uh, what happened then, maybe you should pay attention in history class or something like that. Um, Declaration of Independence was signed, and our nation declared independence from the British government. And there's the Declaration of Independence. I've said that multiple times, might say it one more. Um, Ingrain it in your mind that we had Declaration of Independence. But in this document, they said that we see that God has given humans these rights. And among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And those are rights that our nation has started it to pursue. And it's kind of the American dream, you know. Like, hey, if you think of it, if you dream it, then you apply yourself to it and you will be able to achieve it. And it's interesting because as the generations have gone on, we are now to the letter Z. We have Gen Zers, which are born after 1997. And if you are a Gen Z person, one of the labels that you have received is the most depressed generation in our history. That's what they're saying about Gen Zers right now. That Gen Zers are the most depressed generation in our nation's history. And like we're talking about like 1930s in which it was called the Great Depression. Like I figure those people would be pretty depressed. But instead they're saying that this current generation that is coming up is the most depressed generation that we have ever seen. And it it just led me to ask the question, why? Like, why is it that we are seeing the most depressed generation our nation has ever seen? Because think about where we're at as a society and what this generation has offered to it. I mean, societally, they are being told that they can be whatever they feel like being. They're being told that you can do whatever it is that you want to do, but it goes even more beyond that, where if you feel like you're something, that's what you can identify as. Not only as male, female, but there's now they're saying there's a spectrum and animals are involved in this as well, that you can be a Furby and you can identify as an animal. And so it's like whatever your heart desires, just say you want to be that. I think that I would be pretty happy if I could be whatever I felt like being. But yet they're still being told they're the most depressed generation there is. What about the fact that they have lived during the most booming economy that our nation has ever seen? This is kind of pre-COVID. That the economy was amazing. And I mean, it was just, everybody was making money. There were jobs. The unemployment rate was really low. And yet they're still depressed. What about the fact that they have an abundance of stuff at their fingertips. I mean, look at the technology boom that we have seen where there are iPhones and there are now electric cars that drive themselves and everything just is starting to be innovated and we're seeing all this new stuff and it is available for them all. And yet they're still the most depressed nation that we've seen. And on top of all of that, they have access to everything pretty much instantly. Instant access to information, instant access to entertainment, instant access to people even. They're saying that 
we now are more connected than we have ever been thanks to technology, but at the same time, we are the most disconnected we have ever been. And so again, I ask the question, why is it that when they have access to everything you can almost imagine, I mean, think about your great-grandparents and where they were, horse and buggy stage, some of you might have experienced that yourselves, but it's like, you know, horse and buggy stage, and now all of a sudden we have self-driving cars, and not only is Galena not a day's drive away, St. Louis is not even hardly a day's drive away, and yet we're seeing depression. Why is that? Because the answer is none of those things are going to lead you to truly feeling fulfilled. None of those things gives you the fulfillment that our hearts are desiring. And Solomon knows that. As he has been going through Ecclesiastes and he's been seeking out what is the meaning to life? Where am I going to find meaning to my, my existence? Where am I going to find value? What is going to fulfill me? And he's like, I'm going to look for it in things. I'm going to look for it in people. I'm going to look for it in power. I'm going to look for it through all these things. And he keeps coming back to none of it. It's all vain under the sun. It is all emptiness. And Solomon, just like so many people today, are asking this question that we're going to be looking at. Where can I find fulfillment? How do I have a fulfillment of my life? Because I've looked for it in everything and I still feel empty. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. We're going to read the first nine verses. So I'm going to ask as we read collectively our passage today, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. So Solomon is telling us, he says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over a fool? And what does the poor man ha have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity, a striving after wind. Father God, we just thank you so much, again, that we can just gather together. And God, I just pray that as we see what your word has to say, speak to us through it. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Real quick, before you sit down, turn to somebody and say, it is sure good to see you. I feel like we need to wake up, people. All right. That's enough. Or keep going. We see how what I say goes. Yeah. I meant in your row, not like walking all the way across talking to people. I mean, man. It was supposed to be a high, good seeing you sit down, but no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm glad to see that. So 
We've been, been looking through the book, through Ecclesiastes, and it's had this theme through it all. Where do I find meaning? Where do I find value? And here's, here's the thing that the world does really well. They try and sell you on stuff. They try and sell you on, buy this product and everything will be well. Buy, buy this product and it will solve all your problems. If only you had the newest, latest, and greatest, then you would be somebody. Then you would never want anymore. And they do a really good job of selling you on that. I mean, just think of all the advertisements that you see throughout a day. Constantly bombarding you with, this is the product that will solve it. This is the product that will solve it. And yet the thing is, is that over and over, we get those and we think, if only I had that. And then we get it and we're left with that. It didn't satisfy very long. I mean, the thing is that you do get that new thing and it's like, yes, I'm so happy. I love this. And then you realize it's going to bring me a whole lot of headache. And Solomon here in our passage is looking for that thing. He's seeking out what is it that is going to fulfill me. And remember, Solomon is doing this with a under the sun theology. A apart from God. What does this world have to offer to me that will satisfy, that will ultimately fulfill me? And he does this comparison in our text today. Where he takes a man who it would appear has everything. And he compares him to a stillborn child. And he says, the stillborn child is better off than the man who has everything. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, the first three verses, he says, There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He has everything we think will bring him satisfaction. And he says, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. He gets everything his heart wants. But yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but instead a stranger enjoys them. He says, this is vanity. It's a grievous evil. He says, if a man fathers a hundred children and he lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say a stillborn child is better off than he. And so Solomon, he's looking at this man and he's saying, from really all perspectives, this guy has it all. It would be like if you looked at Tom Brady from a worldly perspective and you were like, the guy's got millions of dollars. The guy has a supermodel spouse. The guy has notoriety. He's like the greatest quarterback in the history of the world. And yet the guy is not at rest because that's what Solomon's saying about this guy. He's saying, even if this guy has offspring, he's got hundreds of children, even if he fathered a hundred children. He says, even if he has a long life full of good health, even if hypothetically this guy never even dies, if he has no burial, if he could live forever, forever and he has wealth on top of it all. He's saying this man is still empty. If he is given everything that his heart desires so that he lacked nothing, he's saying a stillborn child is still better off than him. Why? Because that stillborn child doesn't go through the difficulties of this life. Because again, we are looking at under the sun theology here, apart from God theology. And so even if you have all of that stuff, you have 
toil. Solomon's already told us that it is a shame that you would work your whole life to receive something only to leave it for somebody else and who knows what they're going to do with it. And so even if you have everything, you've got toil, you've got heartache, you've got pain, you've got sorrow, and yet this child that never sees life is better off because he has found rest. He doesn't experience any of those things. Why? Because those things are going to leave you empty. Because you're going to constantly be searching for the next thing that's going to fulfill you. You're going to constantly be looking for that one thing that will satisfy. Because that's where Solomon comes to a conclusion in verse 7. He says, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Everything in under the sun theology, everything that you are seeking for apart from God will not satisfy you. Oh, but Andy, you don't understand. If only, and don't tell me I don't understand. Tell it to Solomon who has just ran this experiment on life. And you're like, Andy, Solomon, you don't understand. If I had this, and Solomon's like, not only did I have that, I had it way better than you could ever even imagine and it still left me empty. I had it to the greatest extent possible, and I still was left empty. Everything under the sun is like seeking after your next meal. I mean, think about it. I love food. I love really good food. But yet, it doesn't matter how good of a perfectly, perfectly cooked blue steak, which means it's not cooked at all. It's like super rare. It doesn't matter how good that steak is. And I get it and I eat it and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm never going to eat again. I'm, I'm satisfied for life. My grandpa used to always say that. He's like, I am never going to eat again. Three hours later, oh my goodness, right in the closets, right in everything. Like what's my next meal going to be? I'm so hungry and I totally forget about that steak that just perfectly satisfied my needs. That's the way it is with the things of life. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm so, I want that. I need it. My body craves it. And then we give it to ourselves. And for two hours, we're happy. And then it's like, okay, where's my next meal going to come from? I'm right in the articles. I'm looking for that next thing that I can get that is ultimately going to satisfy. And Solomon says, all the toil of a man is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not satisfied. You're never going to find it temporarily. Maybe, temporarily, you'll be happy, but it doesn't last. It never lasts when it is done under the sun. Because Solomon has already told us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, he says, God makes everything beautiful in its time. And then he has gone on to say, also, he has put eternity into man's heart. So Solomon is saying, like we talked about when we covered that chapter, there's this hole in everybody's heart that we are constantly trying to fill. What is going to bring me not just temporary satisfaction, but ultimate satisfaction, ultimate fulfillment and meaning. And I'm constantly putting stuff in it, but it never fits. I'm trying to fill that, that circle hole with a square peg. And it's like, I'm trying to cram it in there. But it does not satisfy. That's because there's only one thing that is truly going to satisfy. 
The reason that Gen Z is the most depressed generation is also because Gen Z is the least faithful generation in Christ. That they are the ones that have the smallest belief in who God is. And so they're out there looking, where am I going to find hope? Where am I going to find fulfillment? I'm going to fill it with everything around me except the one thing that does actually satisfy. And that is Christ. You see, the one thing we need to realize is that we fall over and over for the lie of the things of this world will satisfy, which is momentarily, which will vanish, but only one and one alone will satisfy eternally. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus tells us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust, tongue twister, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, when you look for fulfillment in the world, we're left empty. But when you look for fulfillment in Christ, you have that eternal satisfaction, that eternal fulfillment that cannot be taken away, as Jesus just said. That thieves cannot break in and steal it. That Roth, try and say it. I dare you to do better. You probably can. Mic's open. Uh, where neither rust nor moth will, bur- will destroy. You know the verse. I just read it. <laughs> I'm a public speaker for a profession, and it's going south really fast. You see, when, <laughs> when it comes to Christ, you're going to find that ultimate satisfaction. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4 tells us, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, I feel like just like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is totally taken out of context. I feel like this verse is very much taken out of context. All right, all I have to do is go to church and be happy about it. All I got to do is give a little bit more. All I have to do is serve a little bit more. I will find delight in doing the things God calls me to do. And what I really want is a million dollars. What I really want is that perfect relationship. What I really want is for everybody else not to be so painfully annoying to me. And then if I, if I seek after Christ, everybody else will end up being perfect little angels. It's like that's how we interpret it. Like all I have to do is come to Christ and everything's going to fall in line. No, not necessarily. You might still be broke. You might still be dealing with broken relationships. You might never make millions. Instead, Jesus might actually call you to sell everything and go live with the poor. But what you will have when you truly delight yourself in the Lord is then you will truly have the desire of your heart. Because what you are doing is you are desiring more of Christ. Not more of the things that he could possibly give you, but more of who he is. Another psalm says, as the deer pants for the waters, so my soul longs after thee. As much as a dry and parched mouth is like, I need water. That's how much our soul is saying, God, we need you. And we're seeking after it in all these other things. And a lot of people come to Christ because they're like, you know what? Maybe if I come to him, I'll get everything else. And it's like, just come to Christ. 
Not, not because of what he might do for you. Let me tell you, he's going to work some miracles in your life. But ultimately come to him because of who he is. He is the savior of the world. Because even in this life, you may never have those things. A guy came up, up to Jesus one time and he was like, Jesus, I want to follow after you. And Jesus responds to him, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And so I was like, Jesus, you've, you've got the fame. I've seen you heal people. I've seen you feed 5,000 people. I've seen you like bring Lazarus back from the dead. I want some of that. And Jesus is like, do you really want what it takes to follow after me? Because it might actually mean going homeless. It might actually mean that if you want to come after me, you're going to have to leave your family. Because families are going to have friction when there is an unequal faith about them. And I'm not saying divorce your spouse. What I am saying is that father and daughter, we see this a lot in like Muslim countries, where the child comes to profess Christ and they are automatically kicked out. Are you willing to follow Christ to that extent? We see this in other countries where they are being told, denounce Christ or die. And they say, for me to die is Christ, to live is gain. And so are you willing to go that far? Are you willing to follow Christ, not because it's the popular thing to do, because we do live in the Bible Belt, so it's somewhat still fairly popular here. Not because of the things that you think you can get out of it because you've been sold some lie of health, wealth, prosperity, but because of who Christ is. Because you realize, apart from Christ, I have nothing. Because I have sought the things of this world. I have sought fulfillment and joy in the things that this world has to offer, and it is empty. And I have found fulfillment in the one thing that can satisfy, Jesus Christ. And so you can take away everything else, but you cannot take that away from me. And that is what ultimately satisfies. You see, there's this great example in John chapter 4 of this woman who she was desiring fulfillment. And she was seeking in all the wrong places and she could not find it. John chapter 4 verse 5, it says, So he, being Jesus, came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is midday, 12 o'clock. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And so Jesus says to her, give me a drink. You've heard this story before, probably. It's a pretty popular one. Here she is. She comes. She's seeking water. But yet what she is truly needing is something much deeper. So Jesus begins a conversation with her. And he's like, hey, will you pour me a drink? And she's like, whoa, who are you, a Jew, speaking to me, a Samaritan? So picking it up in verse 9, she says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and, would have give, and he would have given you living water. So the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. She's like, here I am, I'm coming in the middle of the day, and I am seeking out 
water. Why is she coming in the middle of the day? Because she has sought fulfillment in so many other ways. She sought it in man after man after man after man. And she has not found fulfillment in those relationships so that she is disgraced among her own people. So that she has to come during the heat of the day because she has not found fulfillment. And so now she's just coming for temporary relief. I come for water and I come in the heat of the day because I have burned every other bridge that I have. And what she leaves with is she gets to leave with living water. Jesus tells her, he says, if you would have known who it is that is offering water to you, you would have asked of the living water that I have to give. And he says, anyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And then Jesus says to her in verse 16, he says, go, call your husband and come here. This is where we see that she's tried finding fulfillment in other relationships. She says, I don't have a husband. So Jesus says, you are right in saying you have no husband for you have had five. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And so the woman deflecting says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. What Jesus is offering her is ultimate fulfillment beyond what she has been seeking for it from. But there's something that we have to understand here. She, she is about to receive this living water. But there's something that needs to be realized about receiving fulfillment in Christ and Christ alone. You have to be fully exposed. And it's painful. That hurts. You have to fully expose yourself to Christ in order for him to be able to work through you. That so many people come and they're like, you know what, I'm, I'm a, I'll, I'll give Jesus like 50% of it, but he's not going to get the skeletons in the closet. Or I'm going to come and I'll bring Jesus 50 and I'll work the other 50. Notice this woman, in order to receive the living water, she had to have it all laid out before Jesus. He saw her innermost being. So many people come to Christ, but they're trying to like hide a lot of it back. And so then they're not fully coming to Christ. They're like, I'm not finding ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. And it's like, because you're not ultimately buying into Jesus. It's because you've given him only half of you, where he wants all of you. In order for the woman to receive living water, she had to realize just where she was at. In order for us to find fulfillment in Jesus, we have to totally realize nothing else fulfills. It's not Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus and Jesus only. You see, Jesus, he tells us, he says, I am the light of the world in John chapter 10, verse 12. And then in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, or not 1 John, regular John, verse one, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, the light shines in the darkness. So when Jesus is saying he is the light of the world, he is going to shine into your life. You know what happens with light when you've been living in darkness? Man, it hurts. I get called out by Heather sometimes because we have the most adorable child. Don't know if you know that. I can say that because biologically we don't share anything. And so he is adorable. But we'll go there and uh, he'll be sleeping and we'll walk in. And when he wakes up, it is the best. 
because he is all smiles, all happy to see me. One person in my life is happy to see me. I'm going to run with it. And so the problem is, is that our room is almost pitch black when we're walking in there. And so, like, Heather, she'll, like, kick on a little lamp so you can barely see, and it's like, no, I want to catch the radiance that is my son waking up. So I'm, like, flipping every light on, opening blinds, and what he does, and everybody does it when you wake up and light is shined in your eyes. Oh, that hurts, the pain. That's what happens when Christ enters our life. He shines light in the darkness, and it's like, oh, that. You mean that thing that I thought I was hiding that you just kind of stepped on my toes with, God? That thing that I thought was hidden in the crevices of life that would never get brought up and God's like, let's expose it. Because the best healing is to truly expose it and bring light onto it. So then you can truly surrender it over to Christ. That's what Jesus did. He said, woman, call your husband. And she's like, I, um, I, I don't have a husband. And he's like, you're right. Let's shine light on that right now. You don't only have one, you've had five, and the one you're currently living with is not your husband. And notice how the woman responds to all of this. In verse 25, she says, I know she's trying to deflect again. Like, oh man, you just called me on my stuff. We're great at that. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Actually, you seem down. No, I'm just really tired. Like, no, actually, I'm burdened on the inside. Sorry, self-therapy there. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And so Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Notice how the woman leaves. The woman left her jar, the thing she was coming for temporary satisfaction and fulfillment in, she doesn't even care about right now. She leaves her jar and she goes away into town to the very people that have rejected her. And she goes and says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She's like, this guy just exposed everything and there was no judgment from him. He accepted me and he has called me to something greater. I have been fulfilled and I'm going to go tell other people how they can find fulfillment in it. He has given her the desires of her heart. And from this, she uses her story. She shines light on her story. She's like, you know what? There's no more dark corners. Come here, let me tell you about this guy who called me out on all my stuff. And he loves me because of it. Now you should come. And what we're told later on in this passage is that they come to know Jesus. And they say, at first we believed because of the, what the woman said her testimony, but now we have come to actually know you and to know that you are the Christ. It started out by her sharing, and then they came into relationship with Christ, and they found their fulfillment in Jesus. You see, you can keep on searching for fulfillment in this world, and you will leave unsatisfied. You will never feel like you have arrived. That's why people are like, I want instant fame. I want, you know, Facebook's, it's been around for a while. When I was younger, it was fresh. And it was like, how many friends can you have? Like, and you're comparing friends. And it's like, well, I've got a thousand. <laughs> I got 5,000. Do you know all of those? No. And they know me. No, they don't. But it's this competition that we always have of the comparison game. I think it was Teddy Roosevelt that said, comparison is the thief of joy. 
I think I've made it until I look at somebody else. And then I compare myself to them and I'm no longer happy. I want what they have. But the thing is, you get what they have and you're going to be looking at somebody else. Going back to Tom Brady, the guy who by all worldly aspects has it all. He just broke up his marriage. He just destroyed his family because he was seeking more. He thought that he would stay home, and he was like, you know what, I'm not satisfied here, so I'm going to go back and play football. And his wife kind of gave him an ultimatum, you go play and we're done. And he said, we're done. And he went back to play more football. The thing is, football's going to be over. And as Todd said, how's he going to be known? Known as the greatest until somebody else surpasses him. Nobody knows the second greatest person. Nobody knows who the second most winningest football actually won. I think Craig did, because I asked that question one time, and he knew. So congratulations, Craig. But nobody else knows the second greatest. Nobody knows the like, fifth richest person in the world. The thing is, is that if you look for satisfaction in this world, it's a guarantee you're going to be empty. So many of you, that's why you're feeling empty right now. That's why I felt empty in the past, because it's like, this is what I want. It's shiny, it's new, and then it's not that. And I'm like, what will bring me satisfaction? Jesus, he tells us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, you can deal with the burdens of this world, or he says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and labor, and I will give you rest. Not just rest, the ultimate fulfillment. He will give you the desires of your heart that you have longed for, all your life. You see, in the story of the woman at the well, Jesus, he revealed that he was that one that would give, him the, give her the ultimate fulfillment. There's one thing that she had to do. I've always overlooked this verse. You know, it's one of those drive-by verses that you just read through and you don't think about it. But it's verse 10. Notice all she had to do to receive ultimate fulfillment. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, what did she have to do? What you have to do is you have to go to synagogue eight times a week and you have to make sure that you give 50%. And after you prove your allegiance to me, then you will have the satisfaction of your heart. That's not what Jesus said. He said, if you knew who it was that was offering you living water, all you have to do is ask, and he would give it to you. All you have to do to find the satisfaction, the fulfillment, is to ask God to satisfy you, to delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Ask for that forgiveness that is found in Jesus. And when you receive it, when you give your life over to him, you enter into relationship with him. That can never be taken away. You can store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy and where thieves will break in and steal. Or you can store up your treasures in heaven where none of those things will ever take them away. You will have an eternal purpose, an eternal fulfillment. You will have what your heart desires. Jesus says in John chapter 6 verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will never hunger again and they will never thirst again. Only he can truly satisfy. Stop looking for it in the things of this world. 
Don't live with an under the sun theology. Seek after him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek ye first, or 1633. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Make God your priority and he will, whether drought or the opposite of drought, I can't think of what that is, abundance of crops, whatever it is, good times, bad times, you will be satisfied. Father God, we thank you. Again, that it's, it's through Jesus only. God, that we, we have toiled and we have just strived after so many things in this life and they leave us empty. And you have freely given us what truly satisfies. You have given us the bread of life. God, you, you have rained it down as the, the Israelites in the Exodus, they were hungry in the wilderness and you gave them manna and they did nothing for it. You just gave it. God, Jesus says he is the manna. He is the bread of life. And so God, we just pray that we find our satisfaction in you alone. And that God, if we are seeking for it in anything else in this world, reveal that to us in the emptiness that it is so that we can just seek you out and live for you. And God, find that joy. Find as the fruit of the Spirit tells us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. God, you give us all that stuff when we just simply ask you for it. So God, I also ask if there be anybody here who has not given their life over to you, who has not asked for the bread of life, God, help them do so. Help them ask you to come into their life, to take over their lives as they surrender it over to you. God, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.